Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Longbox Heroes, episode 567, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Todd and Joe here. Todd, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, you know. It's a wonderful day, ready to talk about some comics and movies and TV and good stuff, you know. Yeah, I got a jammed up show this week, right? Uh, no time for banter at the top, you know. Right, I know how much you love banter. Uh, I love banter tracks, the old uh, fanzine that you would get about the Star Wars. Do you remember that? Anyone remember yeah. that? Yeah, I do. And, I, and don't you love banter from uh, the old Taxi TV show? Who were you referring? That was Tony Danza. His last name was Tony Banta. Listen, his his name is Tony. Last name inconsequential <laughs> on every show that he's on. I know we've discussed that. Even when he was the football kicking garbage player, his name was Tony. Yeah. Last name inconsequential. How often did they call him that? You know. Uh, last name inconsequ- inconsequential? I don't know. But Tony and everything, every moment of every <laughs> recorded uh, thing that he did. I'll have to go back and do my rewatch of Who's the Boss on my upcoming podcast, Who's the Boss of Serial? I don't know. This is kind of on the fly here. The script writers are very upset that I'm going off the carefully constructed script. But I could have swore there was someone specifically on the cast that called him Maselli. On who's the boss? I think and, there was. Um, I, instead of I, Tony, and I, I wonder if like every time that they did it, he just had like the dull stare of a dairy <laughs> cow because he didn't know who they were talking to. Right. And just for the record, you you should have other people who were on like extras who were on uh, who's the boss, and you could have called it Danzaing with the stars. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Great title. You could use it. No, that one's a little yeah. All Funky, right. but go ahead. Yeah. So news, everyone. Uh, so uh, another victim in the territory con wars. And uh, hey, Todd, have you heard of this thing called Substack? Mm, a lot of people asking about it. I'll tell you that. A lot of people asking, a lot of people moving, a lot of people shaking. Uh, two big conventions this weekend. Uh, digital sales. What we read this week, or last week, uh, Immortal Hulk number 49 and Not All Robots number one. What we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd and Joe have issues talking about Jonah Hex and the Spider-Clone saga, Todd's art attack, and spoiler-filled discussion of the latest episode of Legends of Tomorrow and James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Right. It's important to add the the. Right. Uh, I saw people saying, it's like, oh, man, I can't wait for the Suicide Squad 2 to come out. I'm like, this was Suicide Squad 2. But it's, again, there's a difference between Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad. Definitely not con- causing confusion in the marketplace. No, it'll be fun to see when the DVDs come out. Yes. So, as I mentioned, uh, it officially came out as we record... Uh, that Wizard World is no longer in the convention business. Oh, too bad. 
They went from the very popular magazine that we discuss uh, just coming up. Now, how about that? How about that as a run of 30 years, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're, I think, in previewing the past this month over on the Patreon, we talked about issue three of Wizard coming out. So one should be, we have been on the, uh, out the month we're talking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So almost like 30 years to the weekish. Uh, Wizard is official, like, no more. You know, they went from the magazine to a website to a publisher or Black Bull Comics Mm -hmm. uh, to the conventions. And they had tons of conventions. They were going to do a cruise. And then they were busted down to just six uh, conventions. And now they're none. They've all been acquired by Fan Expo. Yeah, they said something like in the in the news thing that they're still going to have like their online. I don't sure, I don't know if the all the wizard stuff is online still, but I I mean this is the nail in the coffin. They're defunct as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh so that and now that puts uh, Fan Expo at 17 North American cons under their uh, belt. Hmm. Uh, so I still think Reed Pop is, well, I don't know. Cause San, San Diego is the big one. Would we say San Diego is the biggest one? Right. So San Diego, um, San Diego's not Reed Pop, is it? No, it's not. That's why I was like, they're separate. Then I would think like Reed Pop would be two mm-hmm. with both, um, C2, E2 and New York alone. And then they have, um, you know, Emerald City Comic Con. Right. So I'm wondering where, whether Fan Expo or Reed Pop is number two, because I think San Diego's number one with just the Los Angeles and San Diego con that they have. Right. So, we could oh, sorry. argue. No, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Fan Expo's one that I would kind of see more primarily in, like, Canada and international, but uh, mm-hmm. obviously adding six new ones to their roster, and it's going to start in 2022, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one that Wizard purchased was in 1996, which was the Chicago Comic-Con. Uh, that was how they got their ball rolling. The magazine went out of business in 2011. And Fan Expo said that Wizard World will continue the collectibles business of Wizard World Vault and have representation at all future Fan Expo events. Right. They're just going to have the Seamuses in a glass box. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know what and what you could do with the representation at you know these cons. That you don't have anything left. I don't know what they have. Maybe they'll start doing one halves again and zeros. That'd be great. Well, let me look what they have in their vault that they're selling. <laughs> uh, it's like Geraldo's vault that he found. Nothing in there when you open it. Uh, a lot of interestingly, like, signed stuff, I guess, from people at their conventions, you know? Oh, I wonder if they're just going to have an online store. That's what they're vaulting. Yeah, yeah, that's what I assume. Because, like, uh, the kid who played Carl on The Walking Dead has a bunch of signed stuff for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of signed DVDs, a lot of signed Funko Pops. A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff like that. Gotcha. So they had a good run, I'd say, you know. Uh, but now that leaves, uh, again, is is Baltimore and uh, what's uh, the, the the Charlotte one, the North Heroes Carolina? Heroes Con. 
Heroes Con. Are those like the last two like independently owned big dogs? I think so. I can't think of any other ones. Yeah, everything else is kind of like part of either a multi one or like the big ones. Like you mentioned, like Reed Pop and whoever does uh, San Diego. I know San Diego has like WonderCon in with them as well. Right. That's the Los Angeles one, the one that I mentioned. Yeah. So, but like they have like some sort of branding. Is it like CCI maybe? I forget what it is. I forget what it what it is. I like they were the ones who were trying to copyright Comic Con, you know what I mean? I think if you just use Comic Con alone, they can sue you. But if you put your name like Comic Con, you're all right. It's really weird. Okay, so here's the rib with that, right? What they, the San Diego folks, uh have uh trademarked whatever is comic hyphen con oh okay if you have comic con altogether as one word no problem if you have comic space con no problem it's the comic hyphen con all right uh that is their deal i always remember that i don't want to get this show sued Joe. yeah and cci comic con international is like their overarching governing body right and again, all they have is WonderCon and, you know, San Diego. And that's, you know, kind of really all you need, right? Right. But that's King of the Mountain right there. It certainly is. Um, so the other big news I would say from this week is a story that we covered actually a couple of weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. on the show in that with his departure from the amazing Spider-Man comics, Nick Spencer uh, was going to be working for Substack. A uh, company that I was somewhat familiar with because friends of mine that worked for either print magazines or online magazines as the pandemic hit and they kind of went away. Uh, they start publishing a lot of their unpublished stuff or stuff that they had on now defunct websites, magazines or otherwise on Substack. You pay your nominal fee to Substack, and it's a place that your stuff technically will never go away as long as Substack exists, and you can kind of control the profit margin if you want to give this stuff away for free, set up a subscription model, so on and so forth, right? Right. And we sat here, and we wondered, like, oh, I wonder how that's going to work with comics. And I'm like, oh, we got time to figure it out. <laughs> well, I don't know how much time we have to figure it out, so... The first, I guess, branch that broke off that tree was um, earlier this week, James Tinney IV announced uh, that he was going to be quitting Batman, which was the shock headline for Substack. So what the actual truth of the matter is, with the current Batman storyline that he's writing, uh, he is ending his run on Batman in November. That's the natural conclusion of that storyline uh and then joker he's ending in february again the natural conclusion of that storyline he's also continuing uh the nice house by the lake which i think is only about three or four issues in anyway but this is why i always say to sign up for these writers um newsletters right right because a lot of times you're going to find out stuff like this before it breaks on like the major news sites or even on this show, you know? Right. That's usually how the news sites get the information. <laughs> right. Um, so I guess he mentioned that DC had offered him a three year exclusive contract. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but he decided to, he was kind of done with superhero stuff. He wanted to do other things, okay? Right. Um, now, the big questions, concerns, what have you, with all of this, at least on James Tinian's level, and he's been super transparent, super open, super forthcoming about all of this, okay? Um, so he said that uh, these books are going to be available in print if you are not a digital person. And the way that James Tinian has his stuff up, he has part of his newsletter. You sign up for the newsletter, and that's what it is. You get that email newsletter. But then he already had it built in that you're paying him on uh, uh, an amount, okay? Mm-hmm. I think it's something like $8 a month or whatever it is. And you get a whole bunch of different tchotchkes and stuff, and you could sign up for the year at a lower price. But as part of that subscription, that's how you're going to get these digital books first when they start going up through his sub stack, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he mentioned uh, in the clarification post to all of this uh, that the Substack deal has no restrictions on print public uh, publishing. Substack has no input on where or how or when we put these books in print. Uh, and he said, quote, uh, there is not a single comic I'm currently developing that will not end up as a print comic available on stands in comic book stores. It just might take a little while to get there. Right. Uh, he also said that, you know, obviously his plans for retailers is going to roll out in the next few months, but he needs to play it close to his vest. Uh, he's going to do a lot of the exclusive stuff that he offers through his mailing list available to retailers. I think he did something similar to that with Department of Truth when Department of Truth first came out that you could get like some sort of like pins or something. Yeah, there's a Department of Truth pin. Yeah, that retailers were able to order and they weren't coming from Image. They were coming directly from him. Uh, So it is something that's in place. So obviously that's a big giant move. Well, with that big giant move happening, like I said, that was just, I said, the first branch off the tree. Well, uh, it comes out that not only is James Tinian going there. Uh, but Scotty Young is taking his I Hate Fairyland from Image to Substack. Uh, Jonathan Hickman looks like he is going to Substack once he is done on X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Snyder has already started doing like a writing workshop thing on Substack. And I think um, a couple other folks... Folks, uh, Selidine Ahmed, who's currently writing the Miles Morales Spider-Man book, uh, is going to Substack. Uh, Ram V is going to be doing stuff at Substack. I don't know if it's going to be exclusive. But, uh, you know, we kind of scratched our heads when it was first announced. But these are some big moves, man. Yes, it is. Um, And I was at the shop today picking up my DC books. And uh, every person that came in... All they talked about was Substack. Like, with this move, like, before that, like, nobody really talked about it with Nick Spencer. I think it was more, I'm not going to say because I don't think he's a name. I think it was just because it was one creator. You know what I mean? It was like, oh. And then, but then it was like, he's leaving Batman to do this. And like you said, 
it was all the stuff, all the people who didn't get the newsletter, didn't read it. It was like, he quit Batman. He's, uh, like, you know, exclusive. Like, I, like, no more books at DC. And it's like, no, no, no. He's going to finish Nice House at the Lake, like you said, which is a 12, I think is only 12 issues. But it's like, yeah, I have that to finish. And I have the option, like, just because I left doesn't mean I can't if I want to work for DC. You know, it's not like I'm exclusive to Substack, but everybody was like, what do you think? And our retailer was kind of like, he's, he's almost kind of sick of hearing about Substack already in one day, (laughs) but, uh, you know, being nice about it, but, uh, it's just like, I don't know, but I'm looking at it as you said, all the branches that cracked, like, like I wouldn't think of anything if it was Nick Spencer and then maybe down the line, Tinian, like we said. But now you got like Snyder and you have Hickman. And I'm like, to me, this feels like a mini image thing. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you're get, but instead of artists, it's writers. So like, and if you keep going, it's like with names, it's going to be something because you're going to have enough talent there that's going to attract people people um and the whole thing about doing it digital first everyone's like oh digital first i'm like you do know dc's been doing it this way on a bunch of comics for years now like your your uh uh, was it your uh injustice gods among us was digital first there was a whole bunch of other digital books that would show up in print later that you didn't know about so it's not like it's unheard of um we just don't know if like tinian says he's gonna do it we just don't know if everybody's gonna do it so i'm still on the fence for this because i don't see me going digital i've never been a digital guy but like maybe get tinian's books as they come out and then i'll have to see how all these other creators do it i tried to cover everything that i was thinking in one fell swoop so right and obviously my one fell swoop was going through everything here uh you Mm -hmm. know regarding all the announcements because it was hot and heavy, uh, you know, before we were recording as the announcements were coming out. And I'm sure there's going to be more announcements coming in the near future. But obviously, as you said, like so many big names happening at once. It's as close to image as we possibly can get. But because Substack itself isn't just a publisher, it's a, a third party platform for creators to own their their works and essentially do whatever they want with it right. and name their own price. And just because Tinian's thing is like seven or eight dollars a month and you get whatever it is, um, you know, I know the um, Brian K. Vaughn, the panel syndicate stuff, you know, that was digital and you could go and get it for free if you wanted to. Right. Right. Not many people did, I'm sure. But, you know, you can get it for free um, if that's what you want. And I think the seven ninety nine or eight dollar price point or whatever it is, um, uh, Tinian's doing is he said he's going to be released, you know, his first project is going to be released as a graphic novel. And I don't know, eight bucks for a graphic novel digitally. If that's your thing, that's not a bad price, you know? Right. Um, but I'm in the same boat, boat as Todd, even though as I go through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of comic books and the thousands that I have in my basement, you know, I'm not a digital person. I'm it's too late in my life to be, but I think these are, creators that are looking at what the market is now and where the market can be going. And uh, somebody else said this. Oh, this was on um, Final Wrestling Place. And it applies here uh, when Tim and Marcus were talking about um, what's going on in WWE, where they can't imagine anyone right now who's a wrestler whose dream is to work for WWE just because of what's been going on there for the last like month or two, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, they 
Marcus put it essentially like this is like you get a dollar if you go work for WWE and your job is tenuous and you kind of have to do what they tell you to do or you can go work over here for 75 cents and do whatever you want however you want whenever you want right and a lot more people are starting to see that I could sacrifice that quarter or that three-year exclusive contract or whatever it is for it, it, freedom. Right. And you're betting on yourself. And you're betting on yourself. And because if, it's, it's, I think it's easier to bet on yourself in 2021 than it was in 2016, in 1992, you know, anytime since. Right. It's easier now to bet on yourself. The market is ready for you. Mm-hmm. I totally so, agree. I'm going to be following all this. I'll be signing up for everyone's newsletters to see when stuff is coming <laughs> out. But I'll be keeping my eye toward print, as I always do. That's that's just me, though. But I'm glad to see these creators, big-name creators, taking this big step to bet on themselves. See, I signed up for the Joe Sposto newsletter, and then oh. you tell you you forward me everything that they say, and I don't have to have my name on any lists. Gotcha. So, uh, conventions this weekend, uh, I'll say this, there's two. Uh, the bigger one of the two is Megacon in Orlando. Oh. And that's one of the Fan Expo ones. And I just say, I don't know if you're in Florida, I feel a little uncomfortable, like, enticing you and leaving your house. Hmm. But as a comic book podcaster, I would not be doing my due diligence if I did not do so. Uh, big name comic book folks, uh, Frank Cho, Tony Daniel, Ryan Otley, Tony Harris, Dan DiDio. Uh, one that I found funny, uh, on Thursday and Friday, William Shatner will be there. Ooh. On Saturday and Sunday, George Takei will be there. Oh, my. Uh, George and Bill not crossing paths there. Uh, but on Saturday, you know, there's been the years of, like, uh, the, the photo opportunity with multiple people from some sort of property from the 80s or 90s. Yes. Where we had the Back to the Future one with Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, and Leah Thompson. Mm -hmm. uh, the Karate Kid one with uh, Ralph Macchio and Sensei Lawrence. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you it's a TV show. I'm going to tell you it's the three principal leads, and I'm going to give you one guess to see if you can guess what it is. The Dukes of Hazard. No, not the Dukes of Hazard. I think one of those people involved are dead. Isn't Daisy Duke dead? No, they're all alive. Wasn't John Schneider, like, fighting the law or possibly in jail, like, six months ago? He was flattening the hills and straightening the curves. That's what oh. he was doing. Uh, no, Full House, Todd. Well, what three, though? Uh, Dave Coulier, Bob Saget, and Stamos. Oh, my God. That is the trifecta right there. I don't know if it was me. I, I'd say, uh, hey, Dave Coulier, Bob Saget, stand over there. I'm going to talk to Stamos for a little bit. Well, let me. Well, you. I mean, you worked for Stamos for a while, or uh, for Saget for a while. So I did. That's right. He was above me in the pecking order in my director of funship. Yes. That's right. He. Uh, I think he hired you. So good for you. Get on the blower and see what the. You know, if we can get him on the show. It definitely wasn't Cavalier Jones. 
I think he's fled the country. Okay. Uh, but a little bit easier going, maybe if you're planning on heading to Pittsburgh this weekend uh, for wrestling, uh, you can head to Steel City Comic Con. Very little comic book creators there, but uh, no shortage of celebrity guests. Robert England is going to be there. Oh. Uh, Carl Weathers is going to be there. Oh, he can make a stew. He'll show you how. That's right. The star of Rocky Horror Picture Show, Meatloaf, is going to be there. Oh, my God. My uh, my body double. That's right. And uh, and my body double, Mick Foley, is going to be there. Your birthday buddy. Yes, we're birthday buddies. Yes. Uh, Kurt so- Angle is going to be there. Um, Miro, the former Rusev, is going to be there. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, also appearing for, like, photo ops there is going to be Orange Cassidy. Oh. <gasps> Is Jim Steranko going to be there? No, Jim Steranko is not going to be there for the ultimate photo op. But I will say this. If you can't make it to Steel City Comic Con to get your picture taken with Orange Cassidy, you could do the next best thing. And you could go to Todd's house and get your picture taken with the chair that Orange Cassidy sat in at Real Rumble Night 2 this past May. Did commentary. So. Did commentary? That's right. He sat in it to do his uh, photo shoot as well. Yeah, when he got destroyed by smoke bombs. That's right. But yes, uh, my only, my biggest regret is not having him sign Orange Cassidy in an orange Sharpie on it. That's my biggest regret. Yeah, because I wouldn't let you use the paint pen on your filthy chair. <laughs> That's right. That and I was going to storm in the tent and have him do it. <laughs> Let's give you like, hey, I'm taking that ring down. Sign this. Luckily, luckily, I had to teach his assistant on how paint pens work, so that's how I got mine signed. Ah, okay. And they're they're not a sponsor of the show, paint pens, right? No, no, definitely not. You know, uh, I was looking to see maybe I'll get Sharpie as a sponsor. There you go. No, so uh, all the links to those uh, conventions and stuff are going to be in the show notes. Uh, along with uh, soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, uh, any and all of the shows in our like-minded collective of shows, anytime they go live or anytime the folks from those shows appear on other shows and they let me, they go live there. Better, I would say better than your average podcatcher, but definitely not as good as a text file of RSS feeds. Uh, whether you're looking for Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, and Hit My Music, which is about a month away from uh, debuting here. Oof, that's a, that's a murderer's row, Joe. It, if only I could get away for your stupid podcatchers that I hate to like coordinate everything that you search soon to be named network and they all come up together. Mm-hmm. But that's way out of my price range. That's way out of my skill level. Like I said, I just say you go to soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, and everything that you need is there. Uh, check out our friends of the show, uh, Kevin Hellion's po- uh, website and mask library, where he puts out his show every Thursday, Hellion's Talks. He does his write-ups, reviews, and so forth of, like, uh, weird finds at thrift stores and Five Belows and stuff like that. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, freekaratechops.storenvy.com. Those cool resin and uh, glow-in-the-dark figures that he does. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter. Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. 
two friends of the show, two folks who put out their own comic book published. Uh, you can get them on Comixology with the links in the show notes. You can head to our comic book shop, Comics on the Green. If you don't have a comic book shop in your area or you don't have a good comic book shop in your area, our comic book shop is the best. Let them prove it to you by getting a pull list, subscription list, whatever it is. You go to the store, you pick them up, you have a mail to you. You want it once a week, you want it once a month, however you want it. Dave and the crew will handle it for you. And you might even get a sketch from our friend Becky on your package. You can go check out her social media uh, for any and all of the stuff that she does uh, when she's feeling a little bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, digital sales this week, if you are a digital person. Uh, Marvel having a sale on What If related stuff held over from last week. Um, Defenders and Doctor Strange stuff. Uh, pun or Marvel Max stuff and Fantastic Four stuff. Tons and tons of stuff there from Marvel this week. Uh, Dark Horse having a, a sale on teen books. And that's like kind of, uh, you know, your young, uh, your young adult stuff. I saw like Avatar the Airbender stuff in there. Uh, DC having a sale on their TV-related projects, which, do, which does cast a very wide net. And Image is having a sale on their latest reacquisition, Kurt Busiek's Astro City. Mm -hmm. And I think with that sale, that's going to include all the DC stuff in there as well. And, oh boy, when you see it all laid out there in front of you, you forget how much uh, Astro City there was. Quite a bit. And again, they're calling it an Astro City sale, but it looks like it is a Kurt Busiek sale because uh, Superstar is seen on TV. Wizard's Tale and Aerosmith are also included in the sale as well. So if you never checked out those lesser or seldom known Kurt Busiek things or you want to pick up all 17 volumes of Astro City, uh, now's your chance to do so while they're all on sale. Mm-hmm. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with Immortal Hulk number 49, the penultimate issue of the run by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Um, basically, this is it's this starts out with the Hulk heading to Freedom Four Plaza. And it's a very interesting way they've done this this issue because it's just uh, full page uh, artwork and then prose on the sides as it's told and we kind of get uh two versions of, of like the story like one is he's discussing what the fantastic four are like and how they were their origin what they are and then the how the hulks pertains to it but it's different in a in a, in a weird way so that's kind of cool and they get to like the the fantastic four's place and the way they describe like how it's like uh it, it was designed to give you a sense of awe almost like he's uh al ewing's describing the freedom four plaza as a church like the way the church were desi designed to awe people and that's interesting and so when the hulk's group gets there the avengers are there and you know uh she hulk's trying to just like you know say hey you know let's talk this out something happens and i like the way they do it they don't really even say who threw the first punch or what happened but it turns out into an all-out uh brouhaha and in this like the fantastic four shows up there's like some touching stuff with like the thing talking to hulk and basically the gist of the story was hulk was going there because uh the fantastic four have a uh 
a uh, hole in space that could take you anywhere you want or need to be, which is actually in the uh, Dan Slot run. There's a couple of things from Fantastic Four that were kind of cool that are in the run that I noticed. But basically, it's them trying to get to hell to, you know, to defeat the the, the leader. But uh, it's hard to explain to describe this issue because like I said, it's very much like prose, but it's written so beautifully. And the big full page panels are just fantastic. Um, it's almost like, you know, it's just one little quick snippet in the Hulk story to get from point A to point B, but totally, I was totally mesmerized. One of my favorite issues so far, but that might be just because it was fantastic for uh, uh heavy kind of, you know, stuff, but really enjoy it. Looking forward to 50, even though I got to wait till, October now. Yeah, uh, but at least they told us in there, and I told you last week that it was going to be October, so you should know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I like this issue. Um, obviously, we're here at the tail end of the story, so not the best jumping on point, but I feel as though they tried. Right. Uh, the creative team certainly did try to convey to you, the reader, maybe if this is your first issue for whatever reason, as to everything that's going on here. And I'm not really sure what else we could say about this that we haven't said like dozens of times. Like I thought this was, um, you know, because it was done with like the prose on the right and left columns of each page with your big full page spreads and stuff like Joe Bennett's art just is so perfect for that. Right. And him in his almost last issue of doing this, gets to draw, like, as many big Marvel heavy hitters as he can. You know, like, all the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, you know, all the goodies. You know, the only one missing really was Spider-Man, I think. And he might have been in there. We just missed him. But good for him because he's going to get to sell all that artwork for a premium because they're all full-page spreads pretty much. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of thing. But, yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. I'm on, I'm bored. And, like, what can we say? Like, we've said it for, what, 48 issues now? Right. Uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week was from AWA Studios, uh, Not All Robots, written by Mark Russell with art by Mark Mike Diodato. Uh, this is a not-too-distant future, uh, 25 years to say, where robots have taken over everything. They do all the work. Uh, the Earth is pretty much uninhabitable. Everyone lives in these domes to protect them from the harsh elements. And the robots do all the work because the robots have uh, gained sentience and personalities and feelings and thoughts. And this was funnier than I thought it was going to be, let's say. Right. Uh, I thought this was going to be more dystopian, more apocalyptic, not to say that it wasn't. Uh, but it was also very funny, I thought. Okay. From the robots having, like, goofy names like Razorball and so forth. Uh, the satire bit kind of framing through the issue of the talk show where the human was arguing with the two robots about um, how robots are arguing that maybe they don't need humans anymore. And the human is like, well, we really should coexist, especially since we're the ones that created you. Uh, 
Um, our main character robot is sad that his family, like he doesn't like his family. He feels his family cares too much about him. And there's a big cliffhangery moment that kind of changes the whole world. And uh, yeah, I thought this was like a really good laying the groundwork for what we're going to get. And uh, enough humor splashed in to uh, not make you feel very miserable after reading this. Right. You know how we're usually on the same page about a lot of stuff, Joe? Okay. We're not on this one. Really? Yeah, I kind of read it and I don't know. Yeah, was there some funny bits? Like, I'm always going to be a Diodato art guy. So I'm just take that right out of the equation. The book looks beautiful, even though, you know, like, uh, since he's gone digital, you can kind of, I just, his artwork feels digital, like you can tell. Um, but I don't know, like, you, you know how, like, Mark Russell, like, does a lot of satire and he, like, jabs at society and everything. I can't figure out what it is about this, like, that he's trying, what message, usually has a message. And I understand not every comic he's probably going to do has a message. I don't know. I just did nothing with this resonated with me i don't i don't know how to explain it it's just it just all of it all around landed really really flat for me other than the ending where like something happens and it's like oh well who did it and like how does this affect things i don't know i just feel at this point it just seems like i've seen mark russell tell the story of like oh we're dooming ourselves and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, this is the fourth mini series that you've done. And like humanity's bleak and we're all terrible people. And because of that, we're all going to die. And everything. like, I'm just like, give me something different. Like billionaire Island had the same premise of that kind of bleakness. And I'm like, you're a funny guy. I, even when you were doing your wonder twin stuff, there was a, a bleakness to like some of that, even though it was a fun book. I don't know. It's just becoming too much for me with him. Wow. I, oh my goodness. I, I'm I'm shocked by this. Right. I don't know. Do you get anything that I'm trying to say? Like No, I, I, I do. I do. I can see where maybe you're looking at like, okay, we've told this story before, just now it's with robots instead of superheroes or instead of with a deserted island or whatever it is, but I, I could see how you could see that, but I, I definitely see less of a message and just more of like there might be a message by the time that we get to issue four mm -hmm. but in issue one it feels as though the message essentially is you know we created robots and the robots you know kind of took over for us but it's not like they conquered us it's just now they do everything for us and now a, what purpose do the humans have and there's the bit of humans trying to find what their purpose is and the robots now trying to figure out is like, well, why are we doing this? Like, why don't we just take over? Like, we already took over, but we didn't take over. Like, we took over by doing all the work. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm sure a smarter person could write multiple think pieces on this. I just thought this was a fun book with, uh, you know, <laughs> lots of uh, gags and stuff. I don't know. Fair enough. So uh, rarely do we uh, not line up on anything like that. I'm shocked. All right. I, you know what, Joe? I'll just say I love it. How about that? No, I don't want you to lie. Um, okay, I'm just kidding. This is, not a, this is not a lying podcast. Come on. Oh. Uh, no. So uh, maybe uh, we'll write the ship next week with uh, the pull post, of course, of what we're looking forward to coming out next week or this week 
head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. We put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I have a lead of one correct guess over Todd. We'll see how that shapes up this week. As I look at your list, Todd, and I would say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number three. It is Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number three. Um, I'm looking at your list, too. Is it also the book you're looking forward to? It is. Uh, this has been a fun, enjoyable book. Uh, we both enjoyed that little uh, short that was in Skybound X number five uh, with this. And, yeah, it just uh, – Kyle Starks is doing a really good job, as he always does. Uh, Chris Schweitzer, I know I'm mispronouncing mm-hmm. that, is doing a really good job on the art. Uh, I'm glad to see that Kyle is getting a bunch of – big name artists to do variant covers for this. And I say big name at image, you know, I think Rob Gilroy from Chew is doing the variant cover uh, for this month's issue. I think Erica Henderson who did uh, something else with him before did last month's. So again, to get big name folks like that on the image level to do variant covers for you, I think is really, really cool as well. Didn't she do assassination with him? That's what it was. I knew she did something recently with him. Uh, Assassination is the one that she did with him. Yes, sir. Right. And I had a fun time reading his short little story in uh, Skybound X, too. So. Yep. Uh, So uh, that wraps up that over at longboxheroes.com. Of course, you can check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done before, whether it be past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and, of course, the current ongoing uh, Todd and Joe have issues reading the early to mid 2000s run by Jimmy Palmiot and Justin Gray on Jonah Hex and the uh, much maligned, uh, maybe rightfully so, maybe wrongfully so. That's what we're going to prove here over these next couple weeks of the spider clone saga. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started. So we're going to do Jonah Hex first. Um. It's a two. It's a rare two-issue uh, story, issues forty and forty-one, uh, where Jonah uh, gets what could have been a nemesis, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that coulda, shoulda, woulda been here in a second. Uh, so we start off with some pretty gruesome stuff from a man, William Zimmerman, who we would come to know as the story is titled as Sawbones. Uh, in 1879, Texas, a woman sees what's going on. She gives a description to the authorities. They put up the wanted poster bounty for $3,000 on this guy. Jonah sees it and kind of recognizes who this man might be and then tells a story from back in their Civil War days together uh, that he, Sawbone Zimmerman, was just that uh sawbones where people were hurt had gangrenous limbs were injured they would essentially just get them caught off and be sent back out onto the field however zimmerman here uh went a little bit deeper maybe did experiments of 
on people's pain thresholds, uh, as he would call them. Maybe others would call it torture on a lot of the slaves and a lot of the slaves' children. Uh, maybe even practicing, as Jonah Hex says in his retelling of the tale, some hoodoo, if you will. <laughs> that hoodoo that you do so well. Uh, kind of laying the groundwork for in a time where there were a lot of monsters and a lot of people making bad decisions that this guy may have, may have been one of the worst. Right. So then we flash forward to a month later in New Mexico. Um, just a typical shootout. Now, are these characters, the Sheriff McClure and his son, are these people that we should know from somewhere? No, these are just new people. It's the sheriff of the town that uh, Joan is looking for sawbones in. Gotcha. So sometimes you wonder um, if it's someone that we've seen before, has been referenced before, what have you, you know, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a shootout. The shootout spills out of the saloon as Jonah is rolling in town. Uh, Jonah catches an errant bullet just as Sawbones is coming by. Uh, Sawbones recognizes Jonah Hex from his Confederate uniform, just as the legend of Sawbones precedes him. The legend of Jonah Hex precedes him as well. Uh, he is doing something to Jonah's foot. Uh, like, he's sticking stuff in his foot and burning his foot. He's while he has him, He's torturing him. Uh, yeah. While he has him tied up to a giant pillar inside of his barn. Uh, Sawbone says, you wait right here. Always everyone's famous last words when dealing with Jonah Hex. Uh, Jonah breaks out through a superhuman feat of strength, uh, makes it to the nearby river, passes out and floats downstream where he is found by Tallulah Black, end of issue 40. Right. Uh, issue 41 picks up. Jonah has been out of it for two weeks. Um based on what happened to him with the torture from Zimmerman Sawbones. Uh, he and Tallulah Black have a bit of a dalliance there, of course, unintentionally on Jonah's part. You know, as you would do back in the old Western days where you would just kiss a dame to get her to shut up. Mm -hmm. Not for any sort of funny business or hanky-panky, but sometimes that's, you know, that happens. Right. Um, Jonah has another, uh, you know, still feeling the effects, not 100% from whatever happened, passes out for another four days. Uh, Tallulah this time decides she is going to stay behind. Uh, and while this is going on, Jonah is having very vivid to him and very vivid to us, the readers, nightmares as what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen to, to, to Tallulah at the hands of Sawbones, but it's all for naught. As Jonah gets word from Tallulah where Sawbones has his little shop set up where he's teaching his classes, Jonah comes in, guns ablazes, wipes everyone out, uh, leaves Sawbones there, and then Jonah proceeds to torture him in a manner most gruesome, involving buckets of blood and a lantern, and uh, the end. That That end scene of him torturing Sawbones to give yeah. him what he, like, a taste of it. That thing with the blood and the torch, like, ev like I had forgotten about that, and as I was uh -huh. re-watching uh, that, I was queasy, man. Queasy <laughs> reading that. Oof, that was tough. Uh, so I like this. My only lament about this is... You could have set this guy up as a... And obviously, Jonah Hex is not this book. Uh, you could have set this guy up as a bigger, long-term arch nemesis for Jonah mm -hmm. Hex. 
I I agree, but uh, Jonah really over the course of his run, like the 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 forget how many issues, what ninety two issue run of the, the the Bronze Age and this has only ever had two running. Uh, uh, villains that showed up again. One was El Papagayo. We haven't seen him yet in this, but we will. And the other one was Quentin Turnable. And then that's it. Usually you go against Jonah once and that's the end of it. So I agree with you, but in this world, he kind of doesn't get to have too many reoccurring villains, but this one definitely would have made a good one. Right. So, but I like this. This is good. Uh, It's just one of those things where I felt as though this character, I think was strong enough um, mm-hmm. that he could have been established as a uh, long-term villain for Jonah. But I understand why he was not. Right. So into the good stuff now, then we go? Sure. Web of Spider-Man 128. Um, the issue starts out with Black Cat uh, thinking about everything that's gone on. So basically through her, we get our wonderful recap that we need every issue. Um, and she tells us obviously uh, how we got so far. Like she, the murder, uh, Peter was wanted for murder and she went to see him and realized it wasn't him. So she gets all the information about, you know, the, that the clone, but then Peter's the real clone. And while she's thinking about it, she runs into the villain. Who's the villain, Joe? Is it despair? So I had it written as Mr. Fear, uh, in the write up, but it was despair. Right, where Spider-Man needs help by poaching Daredevil villains, so they bring him over, um, and she, he starts doing his hoodoo on Black Cat. While this is going on, uh, Ben and Peter go to visit the graves of Uncle Ben and Aunt May, um, and they find out that they're being followed, so they end up suiting up, and they find out. Now, this is one of those, one of those things I'm confused about, because I wasn't reading the book at the time or know much about Black Cat. They end up finding the person who was following him, and he says that he was he's looking for Black Cat because he works for her. I always thought she was just a jewel thief, so I'm not 100% sure what this is. You know what I mean? So I could explain that real quick if you'd like. So she was a jewel thief. She did start out as a, vi- a villain, a heel, if you will. A high um, heel. <laughs> right. Uh, so she then turned good and used what she learned from being a baddie as a goodie and opened up like a detective private eye agency called Cat's Eye Whatever. Okay. And she had a bunch of like other uh, detectives and so forth working for her. She went missing because of the run-in that she had with Despair. And again, D-apostrophe S-P-A-Y-R-E. Right, which was the villain from Cloak and Dagger, the TV show. Oh, that's right, that's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forgot about that. So yeah. uh, so she runs afoul of him, and they, the folks that she works for, decided, like, well, if we can't find her, she's always following around Spider-Man, uh, maybe we could do that. Okay. So that and uh, Peter makes some Tom Jones jokes at Ben Riley's expense. Um, so uh, MJ is looking into getting back into the modeling career. Um, so Peter and Ben head off to find, he's like, oh, uh, you know, I, I'll go find her. And Ben gets the rundown from Peter, like who she is, like, why are you so interested? Like we are friends, but we were more than that. So that's kind of cool. They come upon, uh, uh, despair 
who's you know doing the hoodoo on on black cat and she's like you know you lied to me peter you were the you know you said you're a real person and you're not so like i'm gonna have to kill you and in the end uh ben is the one who breaks through despair's powers because he's you know not emotionally uh involved in this situation as peter is and he ends up like you know he's like oh i realize who this person is and i also fought him before and they even say ben riley encountered despair during his years away from the city maybe if you're good we'll tell you about it sometime and i'm like you know what i've been bad so please so we don't need that but uh so in the end uh he breaks free breaks uh black cat free and they you know everything's fine there and then peter and ben just have a little discussion where it's like oh when it comes down to it even though we're what we are and we share the same memories i really think this life should be yours you've established it here since i've been gone and you have mj blah 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 so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you stay as as uh peter and you know do your thing and mj's like hey like i have some some news about the modeling um and I think we should stay here. And it was like me and Ben came to the same conclusion. Um, what's going to happen with Ben? And he's, we see him at the end of the issue. He's walking out the door. Um, and he's going to go do what he's going to do. Not a terrible issue. I feel um, if like this had happened two, three, four months ago, it would have been better. Like in the grand scheme of storytelling um, where we're doing this week to week. But it's like, it took to like we're we're there, and even I know that Ben takes over at some point, so it's going to be reversed. It's just so nauseating. But as a story, this issue wasn't terrible. Just should have been. We should have been here a lot faster. Right. Uh, nothing much else to say. Uh, backdrop of kind of closing the loop on the Black Cat stuff because they introduced her as kind of like an ear for Mary Jane to lean upon as everything was going off wherever. And then of course, this is everyone trying to get like, you know, Mary Jane, at least trying to get her life back. Ben and Peter, Ben and Peter attempting to get whatever semblance of their lives back are going to be. Right. So now we come to amazing Spider-Man 405 and it's a, uh, basically Ben, like after he left, and he's on his motorcycle driving, and he ends up popping a tire on the motorcycle, but saves himself, but loses the motorcycle. And he's like, "Man, I'm so distracted. I got because of my mind in the game. I gotta clear my head. So I'm gonna go and be the Scarlet Spider and swing through the city because I'm leaving. It's my last chance to feel that 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 freedom um, again. Like, cause you know that's what I live for." Uh, and in it, he just subconsciously takes himself to Peter's apartment. Um, this is where it's one of those uh, vague things. I almost thought Peter was having the dream that he was Ben, but Ben uh, Peter ends up waking up and he's like, oh, I had a nightmare and I can't even really remember it. Uh, so Ben swings off and he calls a uh, trainer. He's like, can I, you know, crash with you for a little bit he's like yeah go to the cabin you know where it is he goes up to the cabin and he starts remembering how he uh went to find trainer because he was you know he thought he was a clone and this guy 
had knowledge about that stuff. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go find him. And he's in this town. And so he starts remembering it. And he ends up at a hotel, drenched. Um, He runs into Seward not knowing who he is. And he ends up giving him some money to stay in the hotel. Cut back to present time in the cabin. And Trainer calls him and he's like, you have to get out of there. Um, they're, you know, they're looking for me, whatever. And Ben jumps out of the window as the cabin explodes and he realizes, you know, somebody's trying to kill him or not him trying to kill trainer, not him. And he's like, but he's my friend. So I'm going to go. He goes looking for like his lab. He sees that's wrecked, but he's not there. Starts remembering, um, that he met, like met him again in a bar that night. And he was like all, Ben was all like, had a fever probably because he was driving in the rain and everything and he freaked out and passed out and trainer kind of like, you know, like I'm going to take him in. And so that's how their friendship began. And while Ben in the present is going through the lab, he comes upon these doc Ock like orbs, these orbs. And they're trying to steal all the data from trainer's computer. And he's like, well, since I'm on a lot of that information, I have to stop that. He gets uh, beat up by it, uh, kind of gets knocked out. And the last we see is one of those orbs has trainer locked in a room somewhere. Um, f- a quick issue, not very convoluted, written by JM, not terrible. But it's interesting, once again, to see like past Ben stuff. But not the worst story, not the best story. You know, it was just there. Very quick, though. This one was very quick and not convoluted. So I like them that way in this clone saga stuff. Yeah. So I feel, and again, we have to still read the other two issues, but maybe this is going to be kind of how, when the clone saga first started, where two of the issues would be Ben issues and two of the issues would be Peter issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like them here attempting to flesh out what the origins of both Seward trainer are and uh, how his friendship with Ben started developed and so forth uh i really like the issue of amazing and again you know jm of course always you know kind of more than does a lot of the heavy lifting on the issues that he has to make mm-hmm. them mean something not only in the grand scheme of whatever the clo- the spider clone saga is but also just in and of itself if you're only re- reading amazing spider-man and guest artist Derek robertson that was interesting i've never seen Derek do a spider-man yeah, so, yeah, I know like, he had done, like, little things here and there. You know, I know he had done, like, issues of the uh, the Keith and JM Justice League, even. Right. So well, it was just interesting. I wonder if, like, he was, like, a, a JM hire, you know? Right. I'm trying to remember what he did uh, when he was doing – was he doing uh, – Punisher or something like that for a while because I remember he had Wolverine show up and I love Derek Robertson's Wolverine because he actually draws him as a four foot two fire plug so yeah it was the one where um uh, Punisher blew off Wolverine's face yep and then for the rest of the issue it was just like the Wolverine like metal skull and the face was slowly growing back over it yep um good as like the issue went on you know yeah yeah so, so I I like the amazing the the web was you know kind of like a reestablishing issue of like here's where everyone's going to be going forward maybe kind of sorta right. 
So for next week, uh, we have Spider-Man 62 and Spider-Man Unlimited number 10. Do I have to read the whole Unlimited? You have to look into that. Let me look into that. Because I know, like, the last time I did the Unlimited, you're like, no, 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 just read this. Because Unlimited, the Unlimited issues were always, like, three or four stories. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was like, not, almost like an annual, you know? Right. They might not all be Clone Saga related. Please, oh God, let them not all be Clone Saga related. I'm looking. You're good. Because I take your word for it, you know, before. If it was up to me, I'd be like, oh, I read two pages of it. <laughs> oh, hang on. No problem. So, yeah, definitely go and check out, um, you know, the the uh, Todd and Joe have issues if you want to catch up to check Is out, it? you know, the, the reading order on stuff, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Todd, I'll say this. It looks like it's the whole thing. Oh, thank you, Joe. No, no. Hang on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got like 30 some pages in and I'm like, uh oh. (laughs) Well, at least it's only one issue of Jonah Hex issue 42. So right. Jonah Hex issue 42. Yeah, it's the whole thing, Todd. Oh, good. The whole kit and or caboodle. Yes, sir. So, but it's key, you know. It's it's key to closing up all this uh, spider clone nonsense, right? Yeah, I'm keyed up as it is. So, yeah. Unrelated, I did listen to the last two uh, episodes of Observations this past week because it was about his rivalry with Todd McFarlane. You know. Oh. That was a lot of fun. So, uh, Todd, did we have any uh, art attacks this week? We had one um, from Baby Mamu, uh, which I think is a repurposed Rebecca's art attack. She uh, sent in Doom. So if you're going to start fresh, that's the way to start fresh, Joe, and get my attention. So nice Victor Vaughn you, you did there like that. Anytime someone draws Victor, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and uh, like I said, you know, it was formerly uh, Rebecca's art, uh, but obviously she is rebranded. Definitely go uh, check out everything she's, she has, a Society6 page uh, where she sells some of her original art, an Instagram, a Twitch, all those sort of things. Uh, been a loyal listener, a uh, regular contributor to Todd's Art Attack, so definitely go check out what she is up to there. Right. And uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, as mentioned, uh, you can check out our store where you can purchase uh, shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. If you want even more stuff inspired by this show, inspired by After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, uh, the Jingle Meister for his upcoming Hit My Music show, uh, those inspired designs on everything from cell phone covers to notebooks to tapestries. You can get them at our T Public store that you can find at tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, you can also sign up for our Patreon as little as $5. Well, $5 a month is going to get you the two bonus shows from Todd and I previewing the past. 
where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog to see what the world of comic books looked like back then. Also, six never seen movies. Todd assigns me six movies I've never seen. I assign Todd six movies he's never seen. We're hot off the heels of me assigning Todd Rocky Horror Picture Show. Upcoming here shortly, we'll be covering the movie that Todd assigned me, which is Megaforce. Uh, also, you get uh, After Dark three days before everyone else, so you uh, get the shows in the correct listening order. Right. You can also head over uh, at longboxheroes.com. Another way to support us is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Does not cost you a red cent more, Amazon calls it, since we're one of their associates. <laughs> they call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the advertising fee. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased the DC One Million Omnibus hmm. by Grant Morrison. I would say, I don't know, did you ever read that? I did read. Uh, I, I at least read the 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 mini and then whatever book I was reading at the time tie-in. You know what I mean? Yeah, because everything jumped ahead to issue one million. That, right. Uh, whatever. Yep. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I actually like I like that. I think that is probably one of the more approachable. If you just read those four issues, uh, one of the more approachable Grant Morrison storylines. Right, as approachable as a Grant Morrison story can be. Yes. Sure. Uh, somebody purchased a uh, tub or however they come of Starbucks medium roast ground coffee. Now I'll, I'll go on record and say this: uh, I have no preference when it comes to coffee. Mm -hmm. I uh, do no no instant. Uh, I have a preference, none of it. Thank you. I know a guy black instant coffee and chews gum while he's drinking it. I don't know what that guy's problem is. Real yeah. piece of work. I think it's the vente tub for Starbucks. <laughs> no, but you know, there's people like ah, Duncan stinks, and I like uh, whatever, and you know, only get this kind or only get whatever. Ah, as long as it doesn't have like blueberry in it, I'm okay. What about uh, pumpkin? No pumpkin either. Uh, I, I did get a message from one of our neighbors today. It's like, oh, I got an extra thing of the pumpkin spice coffee made. And I'm like, no, thank you. Well, we're digging a hole in the backyard for a pool. He could put it in there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, somebody purchased a Transformers toy Cyberverse Deluxe Class Bumblebee. Uh, this is where they're... They don't really transform, but they're them, the Transformers, in their robot state, like a action pose or action something or other. Right. Uh, somebody purchased the Snoopy 4 movie collection on Blu-ray, mm. as well as the Herculoids complete original series also on Blu-ray. Good choice. And I think that's not the first time somebody's purchased the Herculoids, or maybe it was someone purchased uh, Thunder the Barbarian. That's the one. I'm still waiting for somebody to get on that fig, uh, you know, bandwagon. I want I want some Thundar figures. Uh, also, uh, somebody purchased a Rocket Book, book Orbit Legal Pad reusable uh, digital thing. So what it essentially is, it's like a notepad mm. that recognizes your handwriting and it does things digitally, and it sends your notes to the cloud. 
if you're like me who writes on like old school like loose leaf notebook <laughs> paper, not for you. Uh, but if you're looking to get into the modern age, maybe it is for you. Right. Maybe you could do all your uh, your digital comics that way. You can write them. Right. So what is it? Star Stack or whatever it is. Substack. Substack. And uh, got another hot deal through the Amazon click through this week. This month or however long it goes for. There was no date in whatever it was, right? Uh, so, if you sign up for Amazon Music Unlimited, um, and this is one of those things where uh, it's uh, $10 a month or it's $8 a month if you're already a Prime member, right? Mm-hmm. You sign up for Amazon Music Unlimited. Uh, for the first six months that you keep it, you also get Disney Plus for those six months. Oh, there you go. And if you do it through our click-through, we get three bucks. Ooh. Now, it's only for new Disney Plus subscribers. Right. You won't get it if you have a subscription. They won't. It's not like they won't charge you for six months. Right. If you've never had Disney Plus before, you sign up for Amazon Music Unlimited you get six months alongside your Amazon Music Unlimited subscription. You get Disney Plus. Um, and then we get three bucks if you do it through our click-through. Right. So I don't know. If you have Amazon Prime, you don't have Amazon Prime, you want to look into Amazon uh, Music Unlimited and get Disney Plus, you know, I don't know. That's a pretty good deal. Yep. So I think that covers everything for the main show. It is time to get into uh, TV and movies, huh? Yep. So uh, if you did not see or are not going to watch uh, Legends of Tomorrow or The Suicide Squad, we bid you adieu, uh, ending out episode 567. And let's get into Legends of Tomorrow first. Okay. Save uh, The Suicide Squad for the last. The big legends Bowski kind of a thing. Yeah. So uh, this was, we have a bunch of stuff going on uh, in this episode. We've got our three overarching story plots that all come together uh, where we have uh, a crew of folks looking for the last alien artifact. It's uh, Mick. It's Spooner. It's uh, 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 Sarah. They find a puzzle box thing that is very enticing to them. Oh, and uh, Zari's with them as well. My no, apologies. Astra, Astra. Astra. My apologies. Astra's yep. with them. Puzzle box is an invitation to go to the bowling alley at the end of the universe <laughs> that has been taken over by evil bowlers that compete against people, and then they take over that world and put it in the trophy case as a bowling ball. Right, and those evil bowlers, Joe... Mike the Strike, Merv the Curve, and Claire the Spare. Great names. Right. So that's really like your A story where everything comes back together. Uh, Nate and Zari attempt to go off the grid and do some camping, but they their campsite is right next to some folks that do the glamping. Uh, with the inflatable hot tub, the giant tent, all the accoutrements that you would typically leave at home when you go to rough it, they have there. And then while Sarah is out on her adventure to attempt to distract... uh, What's her face? Ava. 
Ava, Gary is assisting her in picking out wedding dresses. Right. In the in the finest moments of the uh, episode. Mm. Uh, I think that was the weakest stuff, but that's just me. I love Gary strutting around in the wedding dress. And that wedding dress she had by the end with all the different, like how ugly it was, it was fantastic. Uh, But also, I think, so this is your light, fluffy stuff that's going on in the uh, episode. Mm -hmm. But I'd say the more important stuff that's going on in this is because uh, uh, Constantine is like all jacked up on uh, Aleister Crowley blood or whatever it is that he's drinking to have his magic back. He's like super overpowered. And I think he's turning evil. And he's like John uh, at 11. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. The way he's acting. So interesting. But like, I really like the episode, but it was just like a light, fun, kicking around episode. Goofy episode. I, I get that they were trying to do a lot of like Big Lebowski-esque stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt less Big Lebowski and more team building stuff. Right. And Oh, if I really want to get into it, Todd. I really hate how they did the bowling stuff in the episode. What do you mean? Typically a bowling league team is four people, not three. And I hate the fact that they only showed on the scoring what the team score was. They weren't showing the individual scores. Oh, my God. Todd, it was bugging me so much. I didn't care. I understood what was going on. I know. On. I didn't care either. But every oh. time that I, they showed like the score and I'm like, why are they showing a combined score? And even at one point they're like, uh, uh, 300 pins or whatever it is, something like that. And I'm like, no, it's, if they get a perfect game, it's 300 pins each, not a hundred pins, three people each. Oh, they're getting the bowling stuff wrong in this episode. Oh, my God. And I'm not that big of a bowling person. But I know that much about bowling that it was wrong enough that it bugged me. You know what bugs me? You. Um, <laughs> the correct answer. Correct answer. But uh, I love the bowling stuff in that, like, Spooner actually bowling looked like Fred Flintstone in old 60s cartoons. Like, she was so good at, like, she was doing these, like, ballet maneuvers. I don't know how to explain it. It was really funny. And then Spooner and Mick doing their stuff, because he won't take off the gloves, um, was just a blast. So, I don't know. I enjoyed this this issue. And there was that cool shot where Sarah ends up bowling Earth out into space throughout the doors. So, uh, I don't know. I just had more fun uh, th- than you did, because I'm not a jerk, but... Listen, me being a jerk has nothing to do with me, like, nitpicking the stuff they got wrong about bowling in the episode. Right, right. But anyway, we'll see. I don't know if we have much. I don't know if we have many episodes left of Legends. Uh, Let's see. I want to say there's, like, one or two left. Because they've already started production. Like, we're going to go right back into Legends at some point really quick uh so the uh imdb has two okay left for the season now there's two more that have episode titles right but don't have air dates and 
um, like episode descriptions, and they're claiming that they're episodes fourteen and thir- four, uh, fourteen and fifteen of this season. Oh, okay. so who knows? Yep. But I don't think it's going to be many more than that because that's what they were doing for Legends was around thirteen, fourteen, or fifteen. You know what I mean? Right, and that would be, and then two more episodes this season would be right at thirteen. Right. So, and before we get to Suicide Squad, as we record this, we just missed Stargirl. So next week we'll have Stargirl too. Right, we'll be talking Stargirl. We'll be talking, uh, you know, Legends of Tomorrow with the last two episodes that are remaining. You know. Right. Yep. All right, so I'm going to let you take point on the Suicide Squad from Jimmy Pistol, a.k.a. James Gunn. Right. Um, Starts out with a, you know, group of people getting ready to do basically Rooker's character, which is Savant, which was, I believe, a Gail Simone character. Um, They get him ready to go out on the... uh, the, the mission and he meets the group that he's going to go out with. So right out of the gate, Joe, before I get into anything, they start with Folsom prison blues, the song. So this is the best comic book movie I've seen in a long, long time. Maybe one of the best. So I'm okay with that. But uh, he, so he has his group. It's Harley. Who's back in prison. Uh, uh, Boomerang, like a bunch of javelin, bunch of throwaways weasel. Uh, so they go and they, they go to this Island and the, the immediately, the mission goes completely sideways. Um, everybody pretty much gets killed because of it. Uh, uh, Nathan Fillion is uh, arm fall off boy, but he's been renamed as uh, the detachable kid or something like that. So <laughs> that's ridiculous. But they end up all getting killed. Personally, killing Captain Boomerang destroyed my life. But um, so we find out that Waller put together a whole nother group. Uh, that this group was just a distraction and it's re- uh, led by Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba. Um, I probably got that wrong, but he goes Close so enough. He, Idris Elba. Idris Elba. So there's Polka, Polka Dot Man. Um, I'm trying to think of like the other people in the group. There was, because uh, my brain is fried, um, a Ratcatcher 2, because they couldn't afford Ratcatcher 1. Um, and Peacemaker. So they go, they go out on this mission and they're going to destroy this. Uh, they say there's an alien in this Corto Maltese. They go down and pretty much everything goes sideways with the mission. They have to go end up save Harley Quinn. Cause she's end up still alive. They end up have to get Colonel flag cause he's still alive. And they end up finding out that down there, uh, that they should be helping the resistance take out the coup that has happened. But the, the coup now has control over Starro, who is, you know, the Starro that we all know and love. And they have him and they've been experiment, experimenting on him with the thinker, who's the 12th doctor in a fabulous role. Um, so they have to go destroy that and and blow that up so it can't get out. But through that, we through a series of twists and turns, we find out that Waller really sent them down there to just destroy the information that uh, America was involved in capturing Star because it was American astronauts and they didn't want to do experiments on American soil. Um, and in the end, uh, like Peacemaker turns on them because he was working for Waller even more than everybody else was. Uh, they end up uh, getting the information uh, and uh, King Shark was also there too. Um, they end up deciding where well, we're going to destroy the information 
Uh, but in the end, like Waller's like, come home. But they're like, no, we're going to fight it. They end up and end up fighting Starro and get the upper hand on Waller because they have the information that she wanted destroyed. So they're like, listen, you let us go. Let us do what we're going to do. And we won't ever let this get out. And Waller kind of is like, okay, we have a stalemate. You go do what you do. So uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was fun. It was interesting. Some great shots. Jimmy Pistol didn't reinvent the wheel. Um, So I overall kind of had a blast. And Harley Quinn is one of the best characters out there by Margot Robbie. And her escape scene uh, from the people who had captured her is one of my favorite things altogether. And as I was watching this whole movie, the only thing that really stuck in my head was I want to know how Asa felt about this movie and how April felt when they attacked Starro's eye. That was the two things that were stuck in my head watching this movie. All right. We'll get back to that. We'll save that for the end. Um, I liked it a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, I was expecting it to be a little bit more funny, but I'm glad in the long run that it wasn't. Like, there was still jokes and stuff in there. Right. But it wasn't, like, gag a minute almost sometimes like um, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies can feel. Or Ragnarok. Or Ragnarok, sure. Um, Very bloody, very gory. I was preparing both uh, Asa and April leading into this. Um of how bloody and how swear filled this movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think either one of them were prepared. Um, like I said, I really liked it. A lot of the stuff that you mentioned, um, I saw if there was any critiques that I saw people saying, and it wasn't a lot, it was like the subplot with Harley Quinn and the guy who took over Corto Maltese, like their little romance. Right. Felt as though it was like, it's like, eh, Margot Robbie's like the biggest star in the movie. We got to give her something to do. Right. My overall gripe about it, if there was anything, is the movie's too long. Every movie's too long. That's what I agree with. But I believe you could have shaved 25 minutes off of this. Yeah. But at least with doing so, I uh, I feel as though Jimmy Pistol did a good job of narrating that since Harley was the only one that we were aware of from the decoy party that survived and and this is how they get her to the rest of everyone else. Right. And flag who they ended up killing too. Um, So basically other than Margot Robbie, who has plot armor because the Harley Quinn is money, money, money. um, They just wiped out everybody other than Amanda Waller who had any, you know what I mean? Yeah. To the first movie, they're like, we're moving on from this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one gag that I did not bring up was all the stuff with Polka Dot Man's mother. Yes. Cracked me up every time. And when they actually did him seeing Starro as the mother was so funny. So, uh, yeah, so I only got bits and bobs, like random opinions about stuff. So I thought the special effects, for the most part, were really good, especially the effects on Starro. Which mm-hmm. they really could have bungled, but they didn't. I thought they did a great job on Starro. Right. Um, there's a part right off the rip in the movie where Boomerang, Captain Boomerang throws his boomerang and like does the diagonal cut off that guy's head. Right. And that special effect looked way bad. And I'm like, what? oh boy, are we setting the tone for crap here? Mm-hmm. 
but we didn't. My wife was equally upset that they killed off Captain Boomerang because she remembers Captain Boomerang from, you know, reading Flash comics and the previous Suicide Squad. Even though she remembered him from the previous Suicide Squad movie and then didn't remember seeing the previous Suicide Squad movie when I told her at the end that this was the sequel to that movie. When it's not really right. the sequel, it's a reimagining, but it is a sequel. It is a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, da, da, da. I loved how creepy Weasel looked. The effects on Weasel were really good. Mm-hmm. Was he a new character? Um, I don't know. I think he's I, kind of like an inspired character by someone else. I kind of like how um, what was it? Arm fall off lad was the inspiration for TDK, and this one was the inspiration for that. Like they're all someone I think out of DC Comics, you know? Yes, yes. Um, and I just want to say, uh, did you know that the person who put the bomb in Savant's ha- head was John Ostrander? Yes, I did. I thought that was really cool. And I actually thought for a second on the way to the palace with Margot Robbie going to meet the Presidente, yes. that that was Gail Simone doing the hair because she used to be a hairdresser. Yes. That would have been the perfect cameo, but I don't think it was her. It was not. Oh, because wouldn't that have been great? Uh, yes. Right. But go ahead. Sorry now, with your. So I do like that we had the pared down team of five for the most part in the movie um, that we can get more character stuff, reasons to care about these characters, specifically mm-hmm. um, Idris Alba and uh, who was the Rat. actress who played Rat Catcher 2. I don't know. OK, especially them. Uh, without them, this movie does not work. Mm hmm. You need to have those characters that you can attach to that are bad people, but not bad guys. Um, Likeable uh, scoundrels kind of a deal. Yes, yes. Um, I I saw the Lloyd Kaufman cameo. I hope everyone else did. Which one was Lloyd not trying to be funny? Uh, so you see when they, uh, so when they go to meet uh, Peter Capaliti, uh, the thinker, Right. They they're going to their their mission is, is we got to get to this gentleman's club. Right. Where we know he goes and hangs out all the time. Mm-hmm. So when they bust in and they kind of like bust the door open and like the patrons kind of scatter. There's a featured extra that kind of like lingers a little bit as he's moving out of the way. Right. That was Lloyd Kaufman. Right. And in that scene, Joe, um, yeah where they get in there and you know, when they linger on the female dancers and they do a little routine for about 10 seconds. Yeah. That was Mantis from guardians of the galaxy. Oh, she okay. Was, That's she was the head, like the dancer in the middle. Cause I was like, is that the, the lady who plays Mantis? And cause I like, I always thought she was really pretty and like, I've seen her in a couple other things. And then like, when I came home, I like, uh, duck duck goat it and it was like yeah that was definitely her uh, so the part that made my wife uh, clutch her pearls the most was as the Cordo Maltese people show up they're looking for the Americans mm-hmm. uh, and the only two that are most American are uh, what Flag and John Cena yep and again and his- he's peacemaker in the movie but he's John Cena okay he's right, John Cena his- with his alligator shirt on was killing me. Right. Um, so they're like, oh, we're the Americans, right, to kind of create a diversion for everyone else who, you know, don't look like stereotypical Americans. 
so that they can escape uh, through the back door with the thinker out of the strip club. And when they do so, they go into the dressing room. And for about three seconds, you see a topless woman. <gasps> and because of that, uh, my wife was like, we really should have screened this before letting Asa see this. We really should have. And I'm like, no, oh, whatever. It's fine. That was it. Not the really good effect of a guy getting his brain sliced in half. Nope. Right. The thing okay. that Asa disliked the most, because, again, this is the first movie that we went to in a year and a half. And, you know, you, you kind of get it beaten out of you. You forget. I remember it, of course. But you forget that there's thousands of trailers beforehand. And the trailer for the horror film uh, Don't Breathe 2. Oh, OK. My son did not like that trailer at all. See, I saw, I did not see it in the theater. I watched it on HBO Max. Okay. So I didn't get any trailers now that I think about it, so. Uh, so, and then just, uh, uh, so the actress who played Ratcatcher 2 is uh, Daniela Melchwire. Melchwire, mm -hmm. I'm going to know I'm mispronouncing that. Um, John Cena, was John Cena gassed up in this film? Or is it seeing like a normal, you know, a little bit larger than average size professional wrestler next to normal size humans? He just by comparison looks extra gassed up. I think it's that and the fact that they just painted that costume on him. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like even when he was wearing just the alligator shirt, it was three sizes too small. But when but, you look at him, because he's been wearing the Peacemaker costume on the red carpet and oh, doing all the publicity for this, you know? I wanted to talk about that because this is that thing. I don't know. D, the, our good buddy DJ put it out there. It was like everybody's like slam Cena. Like seeing Cena on red carpets in the full Peacemaker garb with the toilet bowl on his head and the gun, twirling the gun, having a good time. I'm like... God bless you, because everybody else has taken this too seriously, and he's had garbage gimmicks, like, you know, thrust upon him by Vince McMahon, probably. He's like, I'm a wrestler. I do this all the time. Like, I'm I'm going to ride this and have a good time. Every time I saw him, I, I, I stood up and clapped, Joe. I'm all uh, again, for that. I can't imagine how any person in the world can hate John Cena. I agree. I agree. And I hate wrestling, Joe. But right. he's, he's my hall pass. To wrestling, so I'll get the but, list out, but I know there's more, right? But uh, but yeah, so I and I love him as Peacemaker, and I'm looking forward to more of him in the TV show. Yeah, because he ends up surviving through the like the end credit scene, and I'm like, all right, just give me because I found out that like he came in, he was like, oh, I'm gonna do this as like a you know a Marine soldier, and Jimmy Pistol just went, no, I want you to do like a douchey frat boy thing, and like as a like a, a muscled up like gun guy, and he's like. I can do that. And I think he succeeded, Joe, very, very well. Mm -hmm. but, oh, and, and also on the other cameos, uh, that rat catcher one was Taika Waititi. Yep. That one I noticed immediately. Like, his voice, like, jumps out at me because he sounds like the guy that he did in Ragnarok. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but uh, uh, like, I, this movie felt like a B action movie with a giant budget with superheroes in it, like, with all, like, the random character, like, the random cameos and stuff. Um, like I said, I, I, I liked it a lot. The King Shark stuff was good, but I think they were maybe hoping that King Shark would be more of a breakout than it really was. He didn't hit for me. Maybe he hits for you, someone else, more than he hit for me. 
they thought they would be Groot too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, my kid loved it. He loved the movie. He said it was. Uh, he said it was awesome. Very action packed. Uh, not his favorite movie, but he right. really liked it a lot. And when we were discussing what possible options for um, his Halloween costume were. He was looking into uh, a Bloodsport costume, but they're not out yet. Oh, I was hoping for Peacemaker. But I'm going to find out how your wife liked it in a minute. Um, but when it comes to Starro, I just want to say um, Starro looked a little hokey, right? But the idea of Starro, like when you read it in the comic, like it translates very well into the movie like those things landing on your face and like starro's like armpit diarrhea where they're all flying out was just it was all creepy all of it all of it very creepy so i really liked uh like starro even like like when they showed somebody who they pulled it off their face and everything and had the star-shaped scar like gore like for a gory movie i enjoyed this but i i did not think starro would translate as well as it did to a live action thing you know what i mean so yes but uh so how did your wife like it uh, so she liked it a lot as well. Um, you know, I think she saw the bit with the eye coming mm-hmm. once uh, once uh, Harley Quinn figured out what her special purpose with the javelin was. I, I well, And I was thinking the same thing. I know what this is going to be. I wish I was sitting next to April as this is happening. She was just like, oh, oh, she's going to stab it in the eye with that. I know it. Mm-hmm. And then they did. And that's what happened. And it was good. Good. I'm glad. Um, she was, uh, and I did get to whisper to my kid and my wife the line. Uh, so Harley Quinn stabs into the giant eye, and then she's letting all the rats in so they can mm-hmm. like chew away at the brainstem or whatever. And it's in slow motion, uh, but she's definitely in there a little bit longer, uh, you know, of course, than anyone should be inside another thing's body. Mm-hmm. And I got to whis- lean over and whisper to both of them. Um, and say, uh, oh, she's swimming in its sweet, sweet eye juices. <laughs> you know that from The Simpsons? Yes. <laughs> Crows aren't trying to kill you, Homer. They're just trying to drink your sweet, sweet eye juice. <laughs> Fantastic. So, like I said, didn't reinvent the wheel, but I loved it. Yep. Very much fun, and that's the thing. So we got a bunch more uh, superhero movies coming out, but I don't know if I'm as excited for them as I was for this until we get to uh, Spider-Man On the Road to Home again. What's it called? It's Spider-Man, right? Right, right. It's always got to have home in it. Spider-Man Homely, something like that. Right. Um, So, But did you see the last Spider-Man? Yeah, of course. Okay, it was the Andrew Garfield ones you didn't see, the two of them. Right, right. those ones didn't happen. Okay. I was just checking, because I forgot. I knew there was something. I didn't know if you tapped out on the MCU Spider-Mans. No, no, those were great. Yeah, they were all right. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, when you have such a weak rogues gallery, what, you know. All right, all right, enough, enough out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I think that's it, right? Anything else, uh, we need to cover or discuss or? Nope. I think that's everything. All right. So again, a little bit longer than usual, but a lot more stuff to cover, of course. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to episode 567 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see y'all here next week. 
Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.